Well, good morning. In this Christmas season, we remember different Christmas memories, and we all have that one Christmas that is especially memorable, right? Like we all have something that we remember looking back on that years from now, we'll still remember that. Maybe it's the year that everyone bought dad the same Christmas present. Right? Anyone, any of you have had that happen before? Because we all know dads are kind of hard to buy for sometimes. Um, or maybe it's the year that grandma burnt all of the Christmas cookies. And no one had any Christmas cookies because grandma burnt them all. Maybe it's the year that the dog chewed up all the presents under the tree or the cat got to the ornaments, knocked the whole tree down. We all have some sort of Christmas that's memorable. For my family, we have several of those memorable Christmases. One of them is, remember the year Dad was in Kuwait? My dad was in the Army, and so one year he was deployed over Christmas. Or, remember the year Mom put numbers on all of the Christmas presents instead of names so that no one knew who they belonged to and wouldn't be tempted to peek? My mom was very creative. But my favorite of all time is remember the year we walked downstairs on Christmas morning and there were no Santa presents. Now, you guys know what a Santa present is, right? If you don't, in my family, the Santa present is the one present that you really, really wanted. It's the one present that, like, you've been wanting all year. It's the one thing, if you hope to see anything under the tree, it's a Santa present that you asked for. And I remember, for me, in third grade, my Santa present, I distinctly remember it to this day, It was a porcelain doll, but it wasn't just any porcelain doll. See, this was a porcelain doll that had blue eyes and a matching blue dress and perfect ringlet curls the same color as my hair. And I I remember seeing that doll in the store, and I wanted it so bad because I, I thought she would be the perfect addition to my collection. And that was the doll, that was the thing I wanted for Christmas. That was going to be my Santa present. But on this particular year, third grade Jessica walked downstairs, and there were no Santa presents. There were stockings. There were other presents under the tree, but I knew none of those were my doll with the blue eyes and the matching dress and the perfect ringlet curls. And I remember walking downstairs, and, and I started getting a little antsy, and I was like, where's my Santa present? I, I want that doll. And I start getting a little bit nervous, and, and then my heart starts beating faster. My, my palms are getting a little bit sweaty because this is a third grader we're talking about. Santa presents are a serious business. And so what's a third grader to do 
but start looking around. And so that's what I did. I start looking around the house. I start looking under the computer desk. I even get my brother and my sister in on it. And I say, hey, we've got to find Santa presents. You want your Santa present too. I know you do. Let's start looking. So we start looking everywhere. We look outside, look way in the back behind the tree. We cannot find them anywhere. Finally, I think to look in the hall closet. So I open up the closet door, and lo and behold, there inside the closet is a giant plastic bag. It was blue with snowflakes all over it. And I pulled back the corner of that bag, and I peeked inside, and there inside, wouldn't you know it, was my porcelain doll with the blue eyes and the matching dress and, and the little ringlet curls. And I was, I was so proud. I mean, I was feeling like Nancy Drew. Nobody has to worry now. I saved Christmas. I solved the Christmas catastrophe. Until my mom saw me peeking in the closet. And she yelled, don't you dare look in that closet. You close that door. And I slammed that door so fast I could probably knock the tree down with the, the breeze that came from the closet. And I ran over to the living room and I just kind of poked at the little presents under the tree and stuff in, in the top of my stocking. And, and I felt all sheepish and I couldn't quite understand why, why mom was so upset. What I didn't know, though, was that in the little tippy-toe of our stockings that year. My mom had spent probably hours putting together little clues, little puzzles that would lead to another little clue and another one and lead us around the house, kind of sleuthing around. And, and she knew that we as kids would love that. And they would eventually lead, lo and behold, to that hall closet where you'd find this plastic bag covered in snowflakes with my perfect little beautiful porcelain doll sitting inside. And of course, we go on to, to find those clues and, and search around the house. And, and I'm left feeling as a third grader like I single-handedly ruined Christmas. This Advent, Advent season, we've been talking about the Grinches that steal Christmas. Those things that can sneak in to our lives and steal our hope and our peace, our love, our joy. And I can't think of a more prevalent thief during this Christmas season in our culture today than that of anxiety. Anxiety, by definition, is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about a coming event or something with an uncertain outcome. See, it starts with these little worries, but those little worries, as we all know, have a tendency to kind of snowball. Like you see in cartoons, a snowball rolling down the hill, and next thing you know, you've got like an abominable snowman snowball. And while I wouldn't describe myself back then as an anxious child, I think back on that story, and, and I realize I was anxious. 
I was anxious about that situation because it wasn't what I expected and I wasn't in control. And that's what anxiety does. It sends us reeling and searching for something, really anything, to put us at peace. Because peace is kind of the polar opposite of anxiety. Some people might describe our world today as being one of the most anxious times of being alive. We've got the most anxious generation alive. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. If anything, it's getting worse. And there's a lot of reasons that people point to about why we're so anxious. Some people point to just kind of the the daily life hassles and and problems that everyone has, and there's just more of them. Other people say, well, technology is is replacing our personal face-to-face connections, and, and that causes anxiousness. Other people, again, point to technology and say, our instant access to information can draw up the the problems of the world in an instant, right at our fingertips. Other people just kind of look at, generally speaking, our nation has a hard time being at peace. Like, since the birth of our nation, we've had like 20 years of peace. It's not even a full generation. And the list just goes on and on about why are we so anxious? But not only does that list go on, unfortunately, anxiety knows no age. Anxiety knows no age. From children to adults, anxiety is on the rise. And as someone who, as a youth pastor here, works with teens, anxiety is rampant with teens. In a study I read by the Fuller Youth Institute looking at anxiety specifically in teenage girls, it said over one-third of girls today say they struggle with anxiety. And then in another article that was written just last year, it said one in 20 of all young people show symptoms of anxiety. And guys, that's just the teenagers. See, and the problem with that is that anxious teens, if they don't learn to deal with their anxiety, grow into anxious adults, and then anxious adults raise up anxious children, and anxious children turn into anxious teens, and it's just this vicious cycle of anxiety. And in the words of the wise old man, Willy Wonka, and they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing. Now, with this rise in anxiety, you would expect that there are more resources out there about how to deal with this anxiety, right? And, and if you Google on the internet, you'll find just that. You'll find lists of how do I deal with this anxiety inside of me. One list offers 10 natural ways. We're all about natural, right? 10 
ways to naturally reduce anxiety. It says, stay active, don't drink alcohol, stop smoking, ditch caffeine, get some sleep, meditate, eat a healthy diet, practice deep breathing, try aromatherapy, and drink chamomile tea. But if anxiety and dealing with anxiety were so simple as putting a couple drops of lavender oil in my diffuser and and drinking a cup of chamomile tea, why are we still so anxious? I mean, clearly, we're missing something. What are we missing? This issue of anxiety isn't actually anything new, as I'm sure you know. Scripture actually addresses anxiety multiple times. So we know at least the people in Jesus' day struggled with anxiety. If he, if he talked about it, and Scripture mentioned it so many times. But even in Scripture, it, it knew no age. I think of Mary, mother of Jesus. When we first meet Mary in Scripture, she's a preteen. 12, 13, maybe 14. She isn't married. And she's being told that she's going to have a baby, even though it's physically impossible, as we'll see. She has every reason to be anxious. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and I want you to listen to her story. Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, I know that many of us 
have heard this passage every year since we were maybe two. And even if you haven't, you've probably heard it summarized or, or told in some way, shape, or form. But I want you to step back with me and try to see this passage with some fresh eyes. Here we have a young girl, like I said earlier, 12, 13, maybe 14 at the most, who at this point, according to Palestinian tradition, is living with her parents. She's engaged, but, but she's not married yet, and, and so she'd be at home. She's never known a man intimately, and according to the angel, she has found favor with God. So we can deduce that she is a, a good Jewish girl. She's righteous. We see no mention in this passage of anyone else being around. So she's at home alone. And out of nowhere, an angel appears to her and sends this greeting. Now, now I want you to think about this. We've all been home alone. And you know when you're home alone and you hear a noise and you know you're alone. Maybe it's a floorboard creaking or, or a bump in the night. And when you're home alone, that's a scary thing. But then you realize, oh, well, okay, it was, it was something outside. It was the cat. And, cat, don't you dare do that again. You scared me. And, and then you, you calm down. But imagine being home alone, and then all of a sudden you're not alone anymore because there's a man standing in your living room, and he's just like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I mean, you would be a little bit terrified. This is like a horror movie in the making. We read it and we're like, oh, the angel came to Mary. How nice. She's terrified. No wonder it says Mary was greatly troubled, you think? <laughs> I mean, this exact phrase, greatly troubled, is used one time in Scripture because what could be more troubling than being a teenage girl at home alone and some random guy shows up in your living room? This word troubled comes from a word that means to agitate, and, and it means like the parts moving back and forth. And I picture like a washing machine. You've got the agitator in there and it mixes everything up really good. It's like Mary has a washing machine in her stomach. She is greatly troubled. Understatement of the century, of forever. And her first reaction is she's emotional. She's got an emotional response. That's what it means to be troubled. She's got inward turmoil, this pure emotional panic, this washing machine in her stomach. But then it says she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. Now, mind you, at this point, she still doesn't know what the angel's saying. She hasn't heard the message. All she knows is there's an angel standing in her house. But she's, she's discerning. She, she's trying to anticipate, logically think through what he's going to say, even though it's an uncertain outcome. And we can see her anxiety starting to rise. 
But after her emotional response, her inward washing machine, she tries to logically reason with what's going on. That's why later she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She's not dumb. She knows about the, bird, the, the bees and the birds and the flowers, and she knows all that. She, she's a pretty smart cookie. Logically, this doesn't make sense, does not compute. And if we step back, logically, she can't make sense of this situation, and emotionally, she sure can't understand it. And if we just kind of start gauging the room, her anxiety level is going up. It's like, and Amos can attest to this, when you overfill the washing machine. See, I'm a little bit notorious for that. And when you overfill the washing machine, you, things are going back and forth, and then they kind of start rocking back and forth, and, and then you start knocking things off the shelf next to the washing machine, and you can hear it anywhere in the house, and it's like getting hot, and the next thing you know, it's not even against the wall anymore. I mean, it's, it's like moving everywhere. Warning, cannot compute. Jessica put too many clothes in the washing machine again. I mean, this is anxiety. Anxiety overrides emotions and logic. And for Mary, both of those things are happening. Logic's out the window. Emotions are out the roof. Warning, warning. Mary's anxious. And yet, just a few verses after this passage, in verse 46 of the same chapter, Mary is saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And she goes on for six more verses like that, saying, singing that same kind of stuff. I mean, those are not the words of an anxious preteen girl who's just found out she's going to have a baby. What in the world is going on here? What in the world? How is she so at peace? I mean, logically, emotionally, none of this makes sense. And yet, just a few verses after this conversation, she's already at peace. Some people walk into professional help for years and have conversation after conversation about how to deal with anxiety. Years of conversation with no progress. Mary has had one conversation and she's at peace. What on earth is going on here? What is her secret? 
How did she find peace in a single conversation? I want you to look back at verse 38, at how she responded to this whole conversation with the angel. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's the secret. That is, is her like foolproof way of finding peace. I mean, it's, it's really brilliant if you think about it. It's sweet, simple, short, easy to remember. And some of you are like, uh, I don't see it. What, what are you talking about, Jessica? Because I don't really see a solution to peace. It doesn't even say the word peace in there. Oh, but this has everything to do with peace. See, by the end of this conversation, Mary had found peace because she had chosen to allow God to be who he already is, Lord. Mary found peace because she had already chosen to allow God to be Lord. One of the most commonly thought of passages when we think of this topic of peace and anxiety is in the book of Philippians. And actually, we, we heard part of it this morning with the candle reading. In Philippians 4, 4 through 7, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And it seems from that passage, somehow peace is tied to the Lord being at hand, But why would this give us peace? That word Lord that's used both in Philippians and also by Mary in her conversation with the angel is the Greek word kordeos. It's a title that refers to someone who has power and authority. Someone who who rules over something is master of something. And it carries with it the idea that they've obtained this legally. Like it wasn't just some dictator who walked in and decided they were in charge, they were Lord. But they legally obtained the rights to power and authority. It's like having the deed of a car that says, I am the legal owner of this car. I have paid for it. This is my car. Or having legal adoption papers that say, I didn't just come in and steal a random kid. This is my child, and I have parent authority of this child. It's it's a legal 
idea that comes with this idea of Lord. When Mary called God Lord, she was recognizing his legal authority over something. Over what? Over everything. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Why? Because he founded it. He established, he created the world and everything in it. He is the creator, the artist. He made everything. So he has the rights to this grand masterpiece that we call the world. And he's got the fingerprints all over to prove it. I mean, just look around, you can start seeing God's fingerprints. And not only that, but some 30 years after this conversation, Jesus, the son that Mary would carry, gained legal authority over life itself. See, he paid the cost in full on the cross. And he has the deed that says that he has authority over death and life and over the devil himself. Jesus is this Lord. The leper recognized it when in desperation of his disease, he cried out to Jesus and he said, Lord, if you will, make me clean. Because only God could have authority over disease. And the disciples recognized it when in the middle of a stormy sea, they turned to Jesus and said, save us, Lord, we're perishing. Because only God could have authority over the winds and the seas. And the woman caught in her sin, in her adultery, called him Lord, because who but God could send down stones and forgive sins? Thomas, the disciple, upon seeing the risen Christ, cried out, my Lord, and my God. Because who but God could have authority over death? And on the final day when Satan is vanquished and this earth is no more, who will reign but the Lord as light and as temple for all eternity, because who could have power for all eternity but the Lord God? When Mary, long before any of those things had happened, confessed God as Lord, she was recognizing that he has authority over everything. Even her present situation, even her impending pregnancy, even her emotions and her logic, yes, even her anxiety. How could she not have peace? Knowing that this Lord God 
was in control every step of the way. Jesus is Lord. Some of you may have heard the story behind a well-known hymn called It Is Well. It was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford in 1873. And as his family was traveling ahead of him back to England by sea, they were here in the States, he sent them ahead because he was tied up with work and he was, he was going to follow behind in the next ship. But on the way, a storm struck that ship and his entire family died. His wife, four daughters. And his song, It Is Well, was written as he traveled by sea along that same route where his family had perished. And as as he was traveling, he penned the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. But a few months ago, I read another part of that story that I found equally intriguing, and I, I actually told this story with, with our youth group. Some of the teens might remember part of it. And it's about Annie Spafford, who was one of his daughters who perished on that ship. See, according to some of the survivors on the shipwreck, in the last moments of Annie's life, she was heard proclaiming, don't be afraid. The sea is his and he made it. Wow. Don't be afraid. The sea is his and he made it. See, I don't think Annie was anxious when she died in the middle of the ocean. I think she was at peace because she knew who held that ocean. And it was the same faith in Jesus that led her father to be able to pen the words of, it is well. So I have to ask you today, is Jesus Lord of your life? Because when Jesus is Lord, we can have peace. Is Jesus Lord of your life? And I'm not asking, have you made a decision to follow him? Are you a Christian? Because listen to me here, you can be a Christian, but that doesn't mean you're letting Jesus be Lord of your life. I'm asking, is Jesus Lord of your life? Are you allowing him to be in total control? Are you daily placing every fear, every worry, every anxious thought into his hands, the hands that hold the oceans? Even if it means you do that a hundred times a day. Because if you're not doing that, you won't experience the fullness of his peace that he has to offer. Peace comes from being able to rest in the knowledge that God is in control, period. 
even when we can't see the outcome and we can't control the situation. And you might say, well, Jessica, you don't know what I've been through. I have a reason for my anxiety, a legitimate reason. And you're right, I don't know your stories. I don't, I don't know what you've gone through, but I know the one who does. And I know that he's in control. He is Lord and he brings peace. Or you might say, well, Jessica, I can't control my anxiety. I've tried and I, I can't. How dare you say I have any control over this? But I'm not asking you to control it. I'm asking you to let God control it. Because if he can heal the leper and the blind and the lame and the dead, surely he can heal us of anxiety. He is Lord and his presence brings peace. Is he Lord of your life? The worship team is going to lead us in a version of this song, It Is Well. And I want to invite you to use this time as a response. If you recognize that you're not allowing Jesus to be Lord. And remember, this sees no age. This sees no, no situation. If you recognize that you're not allowing Jesus to be Lord, if you're struggling with anxiety, you can't seem to find this peace. Maybe it's been years since you felt it. Maybe it's just like, I, I'm holding on to some little worry snowballs and I can't quite seem to put them down. I want to invite you to come forward to the altar and spend some time, not just in prayer, but in confession. Saying, Lord, I, I'm sorry that I'm not letting you be Lord. And maybe you even want to just put your hands face down. Say, God, I'm, I'm letting go. I might do this five more times in the next hour, but I need you to be Lord and not me. So as they're playing this song, if you want to spend time at your seats or if you want to come up to the altar, use this time as prayer and confession and declaring that he is Lord. Would you join us? Father, Christ, Lord, you are Lord. Let our hearts so fully embrace that truth that we can let go and we can let you be who you already are the Lord God who is in control, who holds the oceans, and the waves and the winds, 
and the earth and and even my little problems and my big problems too. Father God, you are Lord. Beyond our logical reasoning and our emotional responses, help us to fully know that because we fully know you. Thank you that you are Lord and I'm not. We love you and we praise you because you are Lord. That's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, as a benediction, I want to read a passage from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way the Lord be with you all. You are sent out.